0: Well, as you came in this morning, you probably noticed that uh, there was a team that was busy and making this place look all Christmassy and festive and all the lights and the trees and all that. So out of curiosity, I uh, just want to kind of gauge the room here and see show of hands if uh, there is at least a tree or some lights or something Christmassy up in your home. Is there, what's, what's going on? Okay, most of the room. Yeah, double-handed over here. We got, yeah, lots of, okay, that's, that is great. I'm proud of you. I think that's how it should be. Um, I'm sad to say that that is not the case in our home this year. Um, we had a lot of family in town. We also had uh, two dogs in the house all week. And so it was I'm just kind of a full week. So we're going to get to that. Um, but I think it is best when um, you are putting up Christmas decorations while eating Thanksgiving leftovers. Like I think that's the way that it was intended to be. And that's that's just like, the, you know, that, that's the best way uh, to uh, to do it. And uh, so we are excited to get ours up. And I feel like, you know, we're Squandering this warm uh, weather. If we do not get it up, then this is this is like I gotta at least get the outside stuff up this week for sure. um, Because when do you get to do that in fifties? This is this is amazing. Uh, But as we uh, you know kind of enter the season, my guess is that for some of you, as you pull out those boxes and you uh, begin to decorate and and get those uh, you know those different things around the house or whatever it might be, that there's like certain memories or sort of nostalgia that it brings up. At least it should, or some of us, you know. um, and, and, and part of that, I don't know what, what the tradition is for you, but growing up, we always had a particular um, album that we would listen to, and it changed a little bit throughout the years, but I remember as a kid, um, we would get that cassette tape, you know, and out, and we would kind of put that thing in there, and then we'd uh, hit play, and then when it gets to the end, you know, we'd flip it over and listen to the other side and that sort of thing, and then we upgraded eventually to CDs and, and that whole thing, but it was like there was always these certain songs, certain album that we would play during uh, Christmas decorations, So as a kid, I just had these memories of like, oh yeah, these these songs, now it's kind of Christmas time and I couldn't wait uh, for that to happen. And some of you, uh, you love Christmas songs. If you're like my oldest, she listens to Christmas songs in July and as much as I try and parent her better than that and tell her that she shouldn't be doing that, um, there's other things that I'm trying to lean into as a dad so I'm just gonna let that one slide. So she can listen to Christmas in July, that's fine. Some of you are in that camp. Others of you, you loathe Christmas songs. You just cannot, you'll avoid stores this time of year because they're so repetitive and there's so much of that and all of that. I guarantee you, we're going to sing some Christmas songs over the next uh, few weeks. Um, uh, we kind of like build up and kind of phase it in and, and we'll, we'll kind of do that throughout uh, the month. But what we've done and what we tend to do around here has become a bit of a tradition is we uh, recognize and sort of celebrate, think on the themes of Advent and the leading up to Christmas. And so uh, Advent for centuries um, has been the time of the year when um, the church uh, reflects on what it is that Christ brought and brings uh, in his arrival, in his first coming, and what he's bringing in his second uh, coming. And uh, that's what Advent means. It means arrival or coming. And so this year, the the, the series or kind of theme that we're going to um, use is this. It is Christmas songs, okay? Um, so we're calling our, our series and kind of looking at these themes Christmas songs. Now, before you um, get really worried, those of you that I just mentioned that loathe those Christmas songs, don't worry. We are not going to be be exegeting, um, you know, all I needed for Christmas is you or anything like that. Okay, we're, we're going to be in God's word and we're going to look at some, uh, some songs uh, from the word of God. And so where we're going for this is we're going to look at uh, the, the song book that's in uh, the, the Bible. That is the book of Psalms. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at four um, psalms over the next few weeks together and we're going to look at the themes of Advent through uh, the psalmist's eyes. and and what that means. And so this morning, we're beginning with our first Psalm, Psalm 130, and uh, this is a song of hope, is where Advent begins uh, this morning. And so these four weeks leading up to Christmas, it helps to uh, direct our hearts, it helps to um, focus our thinking and kind of direct uh, our reflection on what Christmas is all about. Uh, I don't have to tell you. I mean, we certainly have, um, you know, there's certain traditions and things, and none of those things are wrong or bad. I don't think they're, they're, uh, they're harmful um, if, if we don't let them be. Um, But if we remember that there is a reason why uh, Jesus did come and and what Christmas means and and, and what it uh, uh, represents and and means for us is is a really important thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to use these weeks together uh, to uh, sort of prepare and center our hearts on the reason that uh, Christ came. And so uh, we're going to do that. Uh, In the Psalms. And the Psalms are for us just a great expression of the heart. They give language to our prayers and to uh, our longings. Uh, They teach us, uh, so many of them are just incredible expressions of the character of God, but then also models for us our response to Him. And so the Psalm that we're looking at this morning, this Christmas song, if you will, is uh, Psalm 130, and this was a favorite for many uh, in the church throughout the years. Uh, This was a favorite of Augustine. It was a favorite uh, psalm of John Calvin. um, And I found out that it was used to bring John Wesley to salvation. If you know the story of John Wesley, he was a preacher and he was convicted by the word of God. It was this psalm that he read and and saw the need for uh, Jesus as a savior um, in a way that he had never seen before. And so it was this psalm here. Uh, This was also a fave of Martin Luther uh, because he was... um, a fan of what he called uh, Pauline Psalms. If you know your Bible, you know that that kind of wording doesn't necessarily make sense. Paul came uh, a long time after all the Psalms were written. He penned most of the New Testament. But what uh, Martin Luther meant by um, calling it a uh, Pauline Psalm is that it is an incredible expression of our need for forgiveness, which is received by grace through faith of no merit of our own. And you're going to see that right here in the psalm uh, this morning. And so it's the the themes that Paul uh, wrote so so precisely and eloquently about. And so this is, for us, um, a psalm that I think will help to uh, sort of set our hearts right. And the last thing I would say about Advent before we kind of move into the psalm is this, is that, you know, this is a good rhythm for us. As a church, I think it's good for us to have certain kind of rhythms in our week. We, you know, If you think about it, we have weekly rhythms, right? We, we gather here on, on Sundays, and, and, and there's this kind of regular preaching of the word. Hopefully, there's some things that you have monthly and some things that you're doing on a monthly basis. This is something that the church does on a yearly basis, is we kind of pause and break from what we're you know, typically doing, and we focus just on the arrival and the coming of Jesus as a Man, He was born as a baby but lived life as a man. He entered into our world and it, it changed everything. It has major ramifications for us and for our life. And so um, that is what we are remembering and thinking about um, as we move in through uh, Advent uh, this morning. Um, let me read the psalm and then we're gonna uh, work our way through it. Uh, if you have your copy of scripture, you can follow along. It's also be on the screen. It's a psalm of a sense, uh, with one that they would Saying as they're on their way to worship and making their way to the temple, it says this, "'Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. "'O Lord, hear my voice. "'Let your ear be attentive "'to the voice of my pleas for mercy. "'If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, "'O Lord, who could stand? "'But with you uh, there is forgiveness "'that you may be feared. "'I wait for the Lord.'" My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Deem Israel from all iniquities. Am I having battery issues, or what's uh, just kind of cutting out? Okay. I just gotta tell you, we've had um, some pretty frustrating uh, technology things lately. The uh, mic has been giving us just so many problems. So I don't want that to distract from, so we're just gonna do the best that we can, and if that keeps going out, I actually, I'm already ready. I have a mic here ready to go for us, okay? So let me pray, and then we're gonna walk through our uh, psalm together here. God, thank you so much for your word and for the way that it directs our heart. And Lord, even the rhythm of Advent, um, God, uh, taking time, uh, during our year intentional time, uh, to remember what it means that you came and were born as a baby, um, that you were born to um, uh, a virgin, and Lord that you uh, lived a life like ours, except uh, Lord without sin, and uh, got in perfection before uh, the standing of the law, and Lord you died uh, a death that we um, that we ultimately deserved, and so Lord we are so grateful. Uh, for uh, what it means that you came. And so, God, I just pray that that as we begin this series, looking at some of these songs, these psalms that uh, that speak of these themes and, and teach us of, of, Lord, what it is that you ultimately bring and what it is that is ultimately fulfilled in you, I pray that you will teach us, that you will show us, uh, Lord, what you would have for us here this morning. God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, as we see this psalm, uh, it is a very personal psalm, and uh, it it moves to the congregation. It's called to the congregation, but what it is is written from a place of personal expression. And so, I believe that what we see there's kind of like outlining psalms is always kind of a little bit tricky. But but as I um, kind of dug into this this week, what I began to see is that there were some decisions, some choices that the psalmist makes. So, I want to kind of frame up our time with this. It's it's sort of four decisions that bring hope. Uh, we see four decisions made that, that, that bring hope and, and each of these are kind of found in these two verse sections. There's these lines are, are grouped together. So the first is, uh, is here um, in, in the first two verses. Let me just read those again. It says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The first decision that the psalmist is making is this, is that I will cry to God for help. I will cry to God for help help. Notice he says, out of, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. What is the psalmist doing? He's asking God uh, for help. And there's a particular place that he's doing that from. He's, he's asking for uh, help from a place and, of need. And with the word that he uses there is the depths. So many times this is associated with Water and um, oftentimes the place of sorrow or darkness, despair is kind of the way that the Bible often uses that as I think about the depths, my mind goes to Jonah Jonah referred to uh, sinking down into the depths as he was physically drowning um, being thrown overboard uh, before he was rescued by uh, that fish and uh, I have not experienced I hope that none of us ever do, but uh, you know that that feeling of drowning is so helpless because you are wanting to open up, you're wanting to scream, you're wanting to ask for help, yet you can't. You're, you're so overcome uh, with uh, just this, this, this feeling of helplessness in it. And so what is happening here is the psalmist is feeling the pressure, feeling this despair, and from this place is crying out to the Lord. And what it is, is it's not a cry um, of just kind of like, hey, kind of a casual, uh, if you get a minute, you know, can you, can you help me with this sort of thing? You know, we do that once in a while. Hey, if you, if you can, if, you, if, you're, if you're free for a second, can you just help me out? This is, uh, as I heard one pastor liken it to, um, this is more of like a 911 call. And we know what 911 calls are, right? You, you do that when there's an emergency. You don't ever dial 911 unless there's something pretty pressing and pretty urgent that needs some, some, some help. And uh, as a kid, I I dialed 911. I think I've shared this story before, but for those of you who haven't heard it or forgot, I don't expect that you remember all of my stories. So I feel like I can use a few of them over again. But I was a teenager and I was home alone. It was late at night, um, it had just snowed, and I was uh, in the basement and I heard some rumbling upstairs. And um, someone was for sure in the house. And I went upstairs, I saw actually snow prints kind of coming into the house. And so at that moment, I uh, sort of freaked out a bit, ran into uh, my dad's office and called 911, right? Like I'm like, there is somebody in my house. And so what's the first thing that they do? If you've ever called 911, they say, what's your emergency, right? So what's going on? What's the problem? What do you need help with? The second question that they ask you is what's your location, right? Because they might know what the emergency is, but in case, if they can't get to you, if they don't know where you are, then they can't help you. And so now with technology, we have like this GPS that can kind of help get them there, but they didn't have that. So they're like, what's your, so I'm giving my address. And I said, I am in my, uh, my office, kind of up in the upstairs, kind of corner of the house. And sure enough, like shortly later, I saw a police kind of coming through our backyard. Um, I don't remember all the details in my mind. I remember like, guns drawn, flashlights out, and it being sort of awesome. Like, I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, I, I'm scared, but this is amazing. I got, like, police coming to my rescue, like, in the backyard. And so, they're coming in, and I went and found them. Um, it's not the point of the story, but to just so you know, I, obviously, I made it. I'm okay, right? I'm here to tell the tale. Um, it turned out that my brother, um, little punk, uh, was dropped off, ran inside, grabbed some shoes, ran out, didn't bother to tell me that he had come in. So, yeah, there was someone in our house, house. It just happened to be my brother, who I had no idea was coming by to get some shoes. He didn't drive or anything. He was dropped off. And, and uh, later, I wanted to um, kind of kill him. But, um, but uh, uh, yeah, it ended up being okay. But that moment, I got to tell you, that moment when it was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm calling for help. And again, that question, what is your location? Where are you? See, that's what the psalmist is saying here. He's, he's saying, Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. The place that he's in is one of despair. And he doesn't elaborate. We don't know the details. And oftentimes, it doesn't matter. Sometimes, we can find ourselves in a place of the depths just because of our own thoughts. And some of you, maybe this morning, this becomes one of your favorite psalms because you're in a place like this right now. You're in a place where you would call it the depths. It's a place of trouble. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of uncertainty. Sometimes the situations around us cause us to be in the depths. Sometimes the choices we make put us in the depths. Again, other times it's just a place that we find ourselves in of no doing of our own. And yet, what does the psalmist do when he finds himself in the depths? He cries out to the Lord. And he's crying in a way um, that he's asking for something. Notice the parts of his cry. He says, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive and to the voice of my pleas for mercy, this cry kind of has three parts. It's hear me, respond to me, help me. Hear me, respond to me, help me. Now, as a dad, my, um, my kids use uh, the word dad a lot in our house. Dad and mom are, are probably, if there was you know, one of those little charts that kind of frequency and that sort of thing. Those are, are words that are spoken often. And it's often it's like, dad, 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 right? Because what's happening is they know that I maybe hear them, but they, they don't know if I'm attentive to them. Uh, a lot of times my kids will try and tell me something and they will just say it multiple times. And I'm like, hey, I heard you the first time. They're like, well, I didn't think you heard me, so I'm gonna say it again, right? They're just, they're trying to repeat it until they know. Why? Because the reality is, is sometimes I do hear them. And I'm not attentive to them. Like I'm hearing it, but it's not kind of registering as to what it is. And so their method is, well, I'm just gonna keep saying it again and louder until there's a response in that. This is sort of what's happening here is the psalmist is trying to uh, not just know that the Lord is is listening, but that he's going to be responsive. He's gonna be attentive. He's going to hear and respond to the cry for help. He's asking for help in his time of need. And I think it's also important to know, well, who is he asking? If you're um, paying attention, and I hope you are, uh, there's two different sort of usage of the the word Lord there. Did you you catch it? It's okay if you didn't, but in the end of verse one, it says, O Lord, and it's all caps. And then in verse two, it's Lord. uh, The L is capitalized, but then the rest of the letters are not. What is that? That's not a mistake. They didn't forget to capitalize those. See, what our English translation does is it helps us to know whenever there's that all caps, it's the personal name for God, the covenant name for God, Yahweh. And so that's just a tip-off to us that Yahweh is used here in um, in the original language. So he's asking, he's calling out to Yahweh, but then in verse 2, he uses a different name for Lord. That is Adonai which means master or Lord. Why does he do that? Well, I think he's trying to um, show us, and and the reason that he's doing that is because it kind of speaks to two different parts of God's character. See, the the word Yahweh was God's revealed covenant name. It it communicated um, uh, this holiness and otherness, but also the, the personal relationship that God had with his people. He gave them his name. So they could call him. There was a, kind of this, this reverential first name basis that was happening with his people. But then that word Adonai means master. What that's speaking to is uh, not just his covenant, but in personal relationship, but more of his sovereignty. So it's the God who has personal relationship, but it's the God who also has the power and control to do something about it. And if you've ever asked for help, it helps to ask someone who has the ability The availability, the the, whatever the resources to be able to help, right? It does no good to. Um, help your, uh, ask your friend to help you move something if they are unable to lift heavy objects, right? You call a friend for a tool and uh, if they are not a tool person, tool guy, tool girl, then they don't have that tool, you're, you're not going to get the help that you need. If you call someone who is uh, kind of occupied during the day or unable to slip away and you're like, hey, can you come over? I need some help with, with something right now and they're not able to come, again, it does no good uh, to help. Here's what the psalmist is doing. He is asking the Lord and he's asking someone who he knows has not only the ability but the willingness, the desire to help. You see that in both the use of Yahweh and Adonai. Oh, Yahweh, oh, Adonai, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And what is the source of his cry for help? It is ultimately what he's asking for here is mercy. And that's where we understand and see um, what the real issue is. See, as we first begin the psalm, we sort of see out of the depths, okay, there's someone who's kind of in despair and someone who's maybe suffering a bit, but then what is the real source? What is the real place that he's seeking help in? It's mercy. There is sin. There is a separation. There's an iniquity that is um, standing in the way. And so what he needs is, he needs forgiveness. He understands his need for the forgiveness of God. And one of the things that I think uh, life has shown and, and scripture um, certainly uh, teaches and confirms is that oftentimes God uses one problem to reveal the real one that needs addressing or fixing. There's plenty of examples that we can go to and see this in scripture. Let me give you um, Uh, Just kind of one from our... Our life. I shared. Uh, some of you know um, we did something that we never thought would happen. Uh, about a week ago, we uh, got a little um, puppy into our our home, and so that's been. That was kind of like added a little excitement to our Thanksgiving um, week. And um, again, if you know my wife, you know us. That was not really in the cards or something we were kind of planning on happening. Um, but nonetheless, we we did it, and it seemed like the perfect time to do it. When you have you know five family members coming and staying with you the entire week, and they're bringing a dog. Okay, so that was that was. Kind of what was going on um, with us all, all week. And so here's the thing I love to share kind of examples, illustrations from my life. Here's my promise to you I'm not going to start filling sermons with dog illustrations, okay? <laughs> Those of you that love dogs, I'm sorry. Those of you that don't, it's just like my commitment to you. But he's new, she's new. I got to give you at least one, okay? So Zoe's in our life, and she, uh, she came in, and, um, and so the kids were just so excited. They've been begging and begging and begging for. Years, and what 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 quickly happened, and um, my oldest is here in the service with us, and uh, the rest, if you see them later, they can confirm. There was just some tension that that happened when the dog came in, because there was a lot of love and excitement. You know, instantly there was a desire to cuddle and care for and run with this this puppy, and so um, let's just say that there was quite a few parenting moments. Okay. If you're a parent, you know exactly what that's code for. That's like, there's parenting moments in there. And at one point, um, I mean, they were just all on top of each other, struggling, fighting, kind of like, you know, like, it's my turn. I want to hold her. I'm gonna take her. You know, it's like, we're just watching this and we're like, wait, we thought that this was what you guys, this is, this is terrible. Like, this is not going to go well if this is the rest of like this dog's life is fighting over her. And I know it's only been 24 hours, but we just need to kind of calm it down a little bit. And at one point, I think my wife and I kind of retreated to uh, the bedroom for a second just to kind of like get away from the craziness. And we're like, what did we do? What, what did we just do? Like, what, what, this was not what we had signed up for. And I think we were quickly reminded and I uh, tried to say like, listen, what we're seeing in our children's hearts is ultimately, uh, a lot of it, you know, uh, is, is selfishness. And they're not any different than you or me. I'm not trying to like throw my kids under the bus and say, oh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're sinful, selfish hearts, but they're, they're like us, right? So what's happening in this moment is we're seeing a ton of selfishness. Like I want Zoe in my lap. I wanna take her. I wanna do this. So there's not a lot of putting others first in this moment. And the reality and what we had to be reminded of was that getting a dog did not make our children selfish, they were already selfish before the dog came in. What it did was expose the selfishness. And so instead of getting so frustrated, what we chose to uh, realize is that, okay, now we've got this issue. We've got to kind of deal with this, this thing. But, but it, it, what it was doing is it was squeezing out what was already in there, all right? It's exposing what's already in the heart. So many times when we encounter difficult things, right? We're, we're, we're tested, we're, we're, we walk through a trial, so many times we think, well, this trial is making me into this or it's, it's making this, this happen. And the reality is this, is that it's not so much that that trial is putting that into you, but rather it's exposing what is already there, right? It's squeezing it out. And so whatever's happening, whether it was caused by the sin or maybe the sin is now exposed here, in this place, the psalmist is recognizing, hey, I need some help. But what I really need help with is I need forgiveness. I need mercy from you, Lord, because I have sinned. He understood what the real need was. We see Jesus uh, kind of give this example or show, illustrate this so well for us when he healed that paralytic man. Do you remember the paralytic man that was brought to Jesus by his friends? Uh, it's a story found in the Gospels, but, but his four friends brought him. They couldn't get to Jesus because there was such a crowd, so they, they made a hole in the roof, lowered him down, and this paralytic man was, was laying there before Jesus and, and in this place. And what does Jesus do? He looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's kind of standing around like, that's not why he came. Like he needs, he wants to walk and you're healing his, you're forgiving his sins. And he said, that they may know. And as a way of visible demonstration, he said, get up, take up your bed and walk. He wanted the physical healing to be an illustration of what spiritually had just happened. So these friends bringing These four friends bringing the the friend to Jesus thought that the biggest need that he was gonna fix, the biggest thing that he was gonna do in their life was to make him walk again, and yet what Jesus did was so much greater. He forgave his sins, and he showed him that he is the redeemer. He is the Lord. There was this example that was so clearly said, and I just wanna tell you this morning, if you are in a place of difficulty, it might not be, that might not be the problem that God is trying to fix, he might be using that to expose another problem that he's trying to get at. This happens medically, right? Like my had a loved one that was in a recent, like kind of ATV accident, went in for some of the checkups and tests and it revealed this whole thing. They're like, man, it's so good that you, I guess, did that because now we can deal with this other stuff that's going on, All right? So many times there's, there's issues and things and so here's what's happening here is his heart is being exposed. He's calling out to the one who can help and what he really needs, what he really needs is forgiveness, And so he made the choice in that place to cry out to God for help. Do you go to God when you're in the depths? Are you in the depths now? Do you know that there's a God who can hear your prayers and is listening attentively and desiring, not just willing, desiring to help? That's what the psalm teaches us and shows us. That's the first decision. The second decision is we see in the next few verses. Look Look at verse three. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The second decision that the psalmist makes is this, I will think rightly about my sin. I will think rightly about my sin. The psalmist comes to the place where he understands the gravity and the destructive nature of his sinful state. I mentioned that John Wesley was a preacher and he was convicted by his own need for Jesus as a savior and his own, uh, I think, resting on his merits and his ability, his good works to achieve or earn him some righteousness before the Lord. So even as a preacher, he came to this verse. It was verse three that he came to. And he read, oh, if you, oh Lord, should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? And he's like, not me. I can't stand before the Lord because I know the sinfulness of my own heart. I know the choices that I have made. And so if God's gonna keep record of wrong, then my record speaks against me. I cannot stand. See, the psalmist understands rightly the need for forgiveness. Should you mark iniquities, that is, if God were to give you a report card. Every year, report cards sent home with kids in school. Many of you remember those. With intrepidation, some of you are still in that place, right? You're still getting report cards. You're like, is it a pass? Is it a fail? All of us are going to get the fail, right? There's a big old F on there. And even if there's a curve and anything else, we're still, we're behind the mark. We're not making it. Who could stand? And see, we need to understand the gravity of our sin. See, there's some things that we don't have that the people of God had in the day that I think help to mark the gravity of the sin. See, if you're gonna think rightly about your sin, you need to think rightly about the Lord. A high view of God will lead to a right view of sin. See, much of what scripture calls sin, much of what God would deem as uh, unrighteous, ungodly, not great for us, sin, our world celebrates and cheers our world sees no problem with it. It, never, it hasn't. It's not like something new to our culture. It's always been in the heart of man. Why? Because there's a low view of God. There's not a reverence and an understanding that God is righteous and he's holy and this is his plan and his working. And so in light of that, that I submit to that and that I place myself under his authority and his righteousness, a, right, a high view of God leads to a right view of sin. And what the people of God had, which was, um, I think, a physical, helpful reminder for them is that day of atonement. Once a year, they would gather at the temple and there was a lamb, a sheep that was sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. It was to illustrate and show the need for um, blood to be shed on behalf of the sins of the people. And so they were gathering this rhythm, right? I talked about rhythms for our years, that once a year, we're looking at Advent and being reminded of what it means that Jesus came. Well, once a year, they would gather at the temple and they would be reminded that sin has a cost. That cost is death. There was the, 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 that animal, that, that flawless, precious, uh, innocent, right? They didn't do anything wrong, was needing to be sacrificed because of the sins of the people. It was a visible picture that sin has consequences. And so they understood. The psalmist knows he's thinking rightly about his sin. But notice verse four. In thinking rightly, he also understands and thinks rightly about the forgiveness of God. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There's forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It's it's a not counting or not calling due the debt. And we know that he does this not just by forgetting about it. God doesn't just choose to like, not, well, I'm just, that doesn't matter anymore. Rather, he paid the price. He's the one who footed the bill with his own son, his own son's life, his own son's death. That's what was needed for forgiveness. The psalmist didn't know it at the time, but it was Looking forward to the cross, God knew that. We now on this side of the cross look back and we know that there is forgiveness because of what Christ has done. But notice where it leads. It leads to that you may be feared. I think oftentimes we might wanna put the word love there, that you might be loved, which is right. We should love God for the forgiveness which he shows us. But a right response to the forgiveness of God is not greater sin or sort of a looser approach to um, obedience, but rather a greater one. That fear is not one of, 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 of being scared or intimidated or something like that. It's, it's a reverence, it's an awe, it's a worshipful, it's being kind of blown away, like, who is this God? And a desire then to respond in worshipful, obedient response. That is the response, a right response of understanding the forgiveness that God gives. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And then, because of that, the psalmist is able to make the third choice, which is this. I'll give it to you, and then I'll show it to you in the text. It says, I will wait for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. Verse 5 says this, I will, or I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Just to be reminded, we are in, this is poetry, right? This is, this is song. That's why there's repetition Like he already said that. Why is he saying it again? Right. That's when we sing. We sing. We'll we'll repeat things. So there's this is poetry, and it's to drive home the point to say, listen. How am I going to wait? I'm going to wait like the watchman waits for the morning. A couple things kind of going on here. The waiting on the Lord is not some sort of wishful thinking. uh, This uh, kind of you know uh, superstitious kind of uh, well. I just sort of hope it happens. Sort of thing. We use the word hope and we'll use it in a way of that, like, well, you know, I hope the Packers win tonight. Probably not going to happen, right? <laughs> not this season, not against the Eagles, right? You can hope that, but there's like not this confident expectation, okay? There's a, so I think we need to maybe get a right understanding, a right definition of this word. Um, I don't know if you do this in your house, but uh, you know, our birthdays roll around, we'll put a candle in there, and then uh, that candle kind of gets set, and you're like, make a wish, right? And the idea is, if you make a wish, blow out the candles, that that wish is gonna come true. We all know it's not gonna come true, right? We're just setting our kids up for like, they're not gonna get that wish. Like the, 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 the cosmic universe is not now like putting things in motion because, oh, the candles were blown out. Let's go, let's go, right? That's not happening. We all know that, but what do we do? We still do it. Like make a wish, this is fun because there's nothing that's gonna like change as a result of it. We love blowing out candles. It's, it's kind of fun. I, um, I hope this is an okay story. My mother-in-law was not in the first story or in the first service. So I used this and so I'm here I'm gonna use it again. She's here. Um, she, she got some battery-powered candles for us because you know kids love blowing out candles. And so I said, Hey, watch this. I don't know if you knew this, the candles do this, but I walked up to the candles. There's a whole bunch of them, like a dozen of them, and I had the remote that turns them off in my hand, and I go, and they all like went out. She's like, No way. And then I'm like, Yeah, it's even cooler, watch this. I to turn them back on. And so I'm like, ha, like walk off. Well, I didn't know, but she, she thought that they like, really responded to like, the audio or the voice or something. So later at dinner, the kids are all trying to blow it out. They're like, hey, your dad got it to work. Like, you should blow harder or try it. You know, so I'm, I'm like, look, I'm like, oh, sorry, that was a joke. I was just kidding. Like, you know, kids love blowing out candles, and I still do. And so that's why I was like, doing that, right? But if we take this same idea that if I blow out the candle, think really hard about the wish, then it's going to come true. We would be dead wrong if we import that meaning to the, the hope that the psalmist is waiting for. That's not it at all. It's not wishful thinking. It's not wishing upon a star, crossing your fingers, you know, hopping three times, something like that. It is a confident expectation that God is able and willing to do what he said he will do. And so the waiting for the Lord is not waiting on a dream. Or waiting on a chance. It's waiting on the Lord. And where is our hope? Our hope is in his word. It's this spoken, confident revelation of salvation that God has given to his people. Now, I don't think that there's a direct correlation. Certainly the psalmist didn't put it, but I, I, I can't help but see that word and think about it. This time of year, as we are focusing and remembering on Christ's coming, when in his word I have hope. Where else does it use the, the Bible use the word word in relation to something that we would hope in? My mind goes to John, the beginning of John, verse chapter one, beginning in verse one. It says, in the beginning was what? The word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was in the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. What is John talking about? What's the word? The word that was with God, and the word that was God is Jesus Christ. Right? And so we know this side of eternity, or this side of the cross, right? Now, now after the scripture has been given to us, God has revealed himself as the word of God is his Son, Jesus, which came and dwelled as in flesh and blood, as a man. And so in his word, I have hope. I love that, thinking about that relationship with Jesus, that I wait on the Lord, and in Jesus I have hope. It's ultimately the full revelation, right? The full uh, example of his salvation revealed to us was revealed in Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of that, we can say this, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. What is that about, the watchman for the morning? Well, in ancient days, right, the security system for cities that they would use is they had wide walls and watchmen were placed upon the walls to keep guard over the city at night. Night is when things happen, right? I'm not so worried about locking my doors during the day, but at night, I'm certainly locking those, uh, those doors in the car because that is when those hoodlums come along and, you know, try and um, figure out if you left your keys in and do all of that. That hasn't happened, but I know it's happening a lot around town, right? That's, it happens under the cover of night. And so what they would do is at night, they would place watchmen out on the walls to look out. And if you're there, if you're a watchman, what are you waiting for? You wanna see that morning light, right? Because then that means the, 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 the danger level is going down. The chance for a threat is, is way minimized. And now your shift is almost over, right? You've made it through the night. And so like a watchman longing for the morning, and here's the reality, they know, they know that that light is coming. That morning light is going to come. There's no doubt in their mind. And it might take longer than they want. They don't have the technology that we have, right? They're not checking their watch and looking at that. But they were looking at the stars, right? They could see where the moon was in the sky. They had some sense of how close it was. And they're waiting for that morning light to break because then there's light, there's safety, there's security. I can go home and get a nap. Like a watchman waiting for the morning, so we wait on the Lord. Listen, they were not waiting, wishing upon a star that it was going to come. They knew with confident expectation the morning is going to get here. And so in the same way, my soul waits for the Lord. As the sun will set tonight and it will rise again tomorrow morning, so the Lord will be faithful to his people. Lamentations. Right it says it says that great his, new are, his mercies are new every morning great is his faithfulness and so we're reminded with each sunrise that God is still faithful he is still working his mercies are still present I will wait for the Lord the morning is coming God is going to work and so listen our hope is in the coming Redeemer Jesus Christ as I said you know part of Advent is thinking back to the way that the God's people waited for his arrival the first time, the God's people um, uh, went against God's decrees, his, his direction for them as a nation, as a people, And he allowed them to be uh, taken over and exiled. And so they were scattered about and they're waiting uh, for uh, redemption to come, that they would be able to go back to the land, they would be able to be a people again and that God would be their God again. And so, so much of the prophets and so much of this idea of Advent was waiting for the Messiah to come. That's who they were longing for, looking for. They thought he was coming as a conquering king. Yet what did he come as? A suffering servant, born as a baby to a teenage girl in a stable so different than the picture that they had. And just like they were waiting for with confident expectation that God would come and that he would redeem his people, so we too wait for the second coming of Jesus. We know that he's gonna come, not as suffering servant, right? Not as a baby, but rather as triumphant king. And he will reign and he will rule and he will redeem and he will put all right which is wrong today. That is the confident expectation that we have. And so we wait for the Lord with hope. And the last thing that we see, the psalmist makes this choice, I will believe in his steadfast love. O Israel, hope in the the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Man, that picture of steadfast love is such a security and such a reassuring thing, right? Some of you know this. There's people in your life, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend. But there is a place where knowing that there is a faithful, steadfast love that exists on the other side of that relationship, there's so much security in that, right? It allows you to be free, be yourself. Enjoy that relationship together. The psalmist understands this. He knows that with the Lord there is steadfast love. What was the example that the people of God were given of the steadfast love? They were given many examples, but one that I think is the clearest and probably the most challenging and convicting is there was a prophet, Hosea, which was, who was to, he was told to marry a prostitute. And and getting married, she didn't really change her ways. And so Hosea was told to continue to love Gomer and to be faithful to Gomer even though she was not being faithful to him. Why did he do that? Why would God ask someone to do that? Well, it was meant to be a representation for the people of God that they would see the faithfulness of a husband to his spouse even when she was being unfaithful to him. And that was meant to be a picture of God's people who were constantly going off and chasing different idols and and, and things in their heart and kind of bowing down to all sorts of other things. And yet God was there with his his said his steadfast love before the people being faithful in that love. That is the steadfast love that the psalmist is referring to. With the Lord, there is steadfast love. With him, there is plentiful redemption. Sometimes we take advantage of that, we presume upon God's faithfulness and forgiveness to us, but yet what is the promise that he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities? There is going to be full redemption, full healing, full forgiveness given. I have several um, loved ones, family members, uh, that have had, are having uh, kind of bouts with cancer. Many in our church, many of you here today have experienced that yourself, and if you have loved ones that had, and if you've walked through that or you know someone who has, you know the process, it's quite painful and hard and, and often scary because what happens, right, is there's uh, either surgery or, or treatment that's given to kind of target these cancerous cells. And the idea is, the hope is that we're going to take out all of the bad cells, all the cancerous cells, so that none of them are left and they can't continue to do damage to the body. If that procedure or treatment doesn't happen, then we know what happens. It continues to spread and will eventually wreak havoc on the entire body. And so once that treatment is administered, once that surgery happens, right, what then occurs after that? Well, there's checkups, there's follow-ups. That first follow-up especially, when you go back and you check and you see, okay, what's the question that we're trying to answer is, was it all gone? Did they get it all out? Because if it's not all out, then it's gonna continue to cause problems. It's gonna to continue to do damage to the body. See, this is the picture that we have of what Jesus is, does, his, his forgiveness, his redemption in our life. Sin, so much more than cancerous cells, wreaks havoc on our life. It is doing damage to our relationships. It's doing damage in our life. We, it is happening all around. And what he does is he comes in with precision and he's able to remove all of it. He takes All of the iniquity is away, right? There is none that is left remaining that would be able to cause the damage. They got it all. It was all gone. That's the picture that he has for his people, Israel. He will redeem from all his iniquities. And our experience is such that we know, I mean, we're still tempted by sin, we still make choices. We still make sinful decisions at times, but the effect of that is neutralized. That effect is taken away. It is conquered. Jesus defeats that on the cross. And so listen, in order for us to have redemption, in order for there to be the payment, the penalty of our sin paid for, there had to be the shedding of blood. And so this Advent, we wait with hope for Jesus to come again, knowing that His birth as a man, as a baby, his life as a man, his death, his very real death, which ultimately uh, was followed by his resurrection is what gives us the life that we need and the forgiveness that we are looking for. It's found only in him and in him alone. That's the only place that we can find this type of redemption, this type of forgiveness question is, do we believe? Do we believe that his love is steadfast, that you can't run too far, that you can't sin too much, that you are beyond the grasp of him? See, he chased after his people because he loved them. He chases after us because he cares for us. And he desires to instill in your heart, in my heart, this confident expectation, this hope that we would have in him. And so this morning as we um, reflect on Advent, we're going to light this first candle and we'll do one each week. And so the reason that we do this is it's just kind of a visible reminder of these different themes that we see throughout um, the time of Advent. So this first candle is the candle of hope and it reminds us of the hope that Jesus brought in his first coming and the hope that he's bringing when he returns again. And that we with confident expectation can await his arrival, knowing that when he comes, that we won't be met with the judgment that we deserve, but rather we will be met with the loving kindness and forgiveness which he purchased through the blood, through his blood on the cross. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the hope that we can find in you. God, is with confident expectation that we, like your people, we wait for your redeeming work in our life. God, we wait for you as conquering king to return again. Lord, knowing that when we do, when you do, that we will see you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would remind us this this month, God, in the weeks ahead of the hope that we can find in you. God, it is because of who you are and the nature of what you have shown us and expressed to us, God, that we can have this confident expectation. And so, God, like your people did, Uh, centuries before, Lord, we too, we wait and we desire, God, we we call out to you, we we long for you to come, knowing that, uh, God, it is you who's able to work. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.